Amen. Well, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. That's the section that the Lord in his providence has given us to focus on this morning as we make our way verse by verse through the book of Luke, which we've been doing for some time, and we are nearing the end. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one somewhere around you, and you're going to need it to be able to walk through the text with us this morning. So let's begin by reading Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me, deny three times that you know me. What a powerful portion of scripture. And what we're seeing in this sacred section of scripture is the Lord's pointed and precise and powerful and profitable preparation for the Apostle Peter. What we're seeing in this section is the Lord's preparation for Peter. So I've entitled the message Preparation for Peter. And this is part two of the message. And you can listen to last week's sermon where we covered part one of this section. And so this is what the Lord is doing in this text. He's preparing Peter. He's preparing this apostle. If you remember within this section of scripture, the Lord has been talking about his substitutionary death, that he will die as a substitute to make atonement for sinners. And he's expressed this by being eager to have the Passover meal with the disciples. The Passover would remember that God's judgment can be avoided through the sacrifice of an innocent substitute. And Jesus, in the midst of that meal, in the midst of remembering that truth, would speak of his death, who will be the one who is substituted 
for sinners who repent to receive forgiveness from God as the penalty is paid by him. And in this substitutionary atonement, he speaks of the fact that he will secure this new covenant by his blood where man can have favor with God through faith. And so Jesus is speaking of this in the upper room and coming out of this, as he comes out of this time of teaching the disciples, we see that there will be an assortment of responses to Jesus's teaching and to his death. He asserts that there will be an assortment of responses to what he's about to do and what he's been doing. And so there's the response of Judas. We've looked at that. And the fate of Judas. There's the response of the disciples collectively and their fate. And here we see the response of Satan in this section. And the response of Peter and their fate. And then there will be the response of the world. And so that's the, that's the progression coming out of this teaching of the substitutionary death that Jesus will um, go, go through. And he makes this clear, these assortment of responses, and he will overcome all of these. He will overcome all of these. Crisis and opposition to his death will abound, but he will overcome all of it. He will overcome Judas and his betrayal. He will overcome the apostles' pride. He will overcome Satan's work. He will overcome Peter's weaknesses. And he will overcome the world through his instruction to the disciples. And so now, as we enter into this particular section, we come now to his particular preparation for the Apostle Peter. This is the time of preparation for Peter. If you remember Peter, he's a wonderful man and um, many people remember his works, some good, some bad, right? But Peter has been saved by Christ. Peter has been called to ministry by Christ. Peter had been trained and given ministry opportunity by Christ. This is that same Peter. He had been taught, Peter had hard and encouraging lessons by Christ. He had gone through and he will go through awful and awesome experiences with Christ. And he will go on to boldly proclaim Christ. He will go on to humbly serve Christ. He will obediently follow Christ. This man will go on to insistently love Christ, faithfully shepherd the body of Christ. But first, he's got to be acutely prepared by Christ. He needs to be prepared. And when I say acutely, I mean 
very precisely, specifically, piercingly, clearly, sharply. He needs this and acutely even referring to the immediacy. This is pressing. This is the attention is needed on Peter's life. This is it requires immediate attention. This is urgent. This is going to be intense. Jesus is speaking and preparing Peter, speaking to him of and preparing him for life and death. This is not trivial. And so Christ must prepare this man for him to be exactly what he wants him to be, to be used by him in the way that he wants to use him for the proclamation of the gospel and for the edification of the church and for the glory of God. This is amazing to think of the progression here. The Lord has redeemed and restored and will commission this man who at one time was nothing but a fisherman. And he works in this man's life, initiates this salvation, calls him to himself, calls him into ministry. And this man who has no skills on his own will be used powerfully for the kingdom of God. And Jesus is preparing him. He must prepare his character. He must prepare his faith. And he must prepare him for the duties of ministry. It's been said that the men that Christ is able to use deeply are the men whom he has refined deeply. And he will refine this man and he will use him. All of this is to make Peter into the man he wanted him to be. He's going to instruct him, prepare him for what lied ahead. When the Lord ascends and leaves the earth, Peter will lead the disciples. He will proclaim the gospel. He will build churches. He will establish the doctrine of the churches. The church will be built on the foundation of his and the apostles teaching. And so he must prepare this man. Peter would be refined deeply. And listen, the same is true for every disciple of Christ, even now. If you want to be prepared, if you want to be used by Christ, you must be prepared by Christ. The Lord is still preparing now from heaven, through his spirit, through his word, through the church, men for faithful service, women for faithful service to him. Christ is still preparing his disciples for faithful service. And I think there's a pattern here before we get into the specifics of the text that I'd like to mention for clarity for your sake, because I think as we watch this whole progression unfold from the beginning of Peter's life until the end, there's a pretty clear pattern that's universal. If you're to be used by God for faithful service, there's really two aspects. First, you must be saved. If you're to be used by Christ for faithful service to him, you must first be saved. 
Jesus said to the already converted Peter and Andrew in Matthew 4, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They were converted men at that point. And he calls them into ministry. To be used of Christ, one must have their sins forgiven by Christ. You must have peace with God through Christ. You must have within you the spirit of Christ. You must be transformed and have the mind of Christ. You must be transferred into the kingdom of Christ. You must be destined to dwell eternally with Christ. You must have a transformed mind and a transformed heart and a transformed will. Listen, God will use his enemies more like pawns on a chessboard. But if you want to be used by the Lord of heaven and earth for faithful service to Christ, you must first be saved by him and no longer be his enemy, but be his friend. You must no longer be a sojourner in God's land. You must be a child who dwells in the house. You've got to know him, love him, be devoted to him, be obedient to him. You must be committed to him. Your allegiance must be sworn to him. You must abide in him. What did Jesus say? If you abide in my words, then you are truly my disciples. A true disciple abides in his word. You must no longer be one who's distantly curious, but one who is a true disciple who obeys, submits, and learns from your new master, which is Christ. And so there must be repentance and faith in the gospel. You must be a pure vessel for honorable use. That verse is used in the context of salvation in Romans. But to be used by Christ, we see this pattern in the apostle Peter's life. You must not only be saved by Christ, but you must be sanctified by Christ. There's really only two aspects. Be saved and be sanctified, and God will use you. For faithful service to Christ, you must be sanctified. You must be spiritually mature. You must be holy. Many people are confused as to how to prepare for ministry. It's not all the leadership information you can find. It's all the sanctification truth from the word of God that you can find. You need to be sanctified. That's the purpose of the Christian life after you've been born again. He saved you that he might sanctify you. He's making a pure and holy bride ready for himself to present to himself on the final day. The whole purpose of your life after you've become a Christian is to become holy through the word of God. That's the point of your life. And that's what must happen for faithful service. It doesn't mean you're perfect. The apostle Peter surely wasn't perfect, was he? Christ uses imperfect saints because that's the only type of saints there are. He doesn't have much to work with. But following the apostle Paul's example in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, you must not be one who preaches to others and yet you yourself are disqualified. You must be one who's sanctified 
What does that mean? Well, a few aspects. As we've looked at the apostles' training, we can understand these aspects of how Christ sanctified them. First, you're to grow in your knowledge of the word. They lacked spiritual understanding, the apostles did as they began. Christ overcame this by teaching them the truth. So you must be saved and you must be sanctified. And the first aspect of the sanctification is having a knowledge of the truth, understanding the word of God, being able to handle it rightly, interpret it rightly, understand what God meant when he wrote it, that you would be able to handle the scriptures right, the way that they're meant to be interpreted. And therefore you can teach accurately others that you wouldn't be ashamed, but you'd be rightly handling the word of truth. What we know from the scriptures is if you inaccurately handle the word, you will be ashamed and you'll lead others astray. That's how it works. When there's false teachers, you can sense that ashamedness under the surface. And so you must have a knowledge of the word. You must have clarity about God, about salvation, about the Christian life, uh, have a biblical worldview. You need to have biblical discernment, doctrinal clarity. You must have right biblical theology, understand the storyline of scripture and systematic theology, the right teachings about the things of God. You need to have clarity, grow in this knowledge of the word. Christ was teaching the apostles so that they would understand rightly. They had transformed minds and came to a knowledge of the truth. But this pattern shows that there's not only a accurate knowledge that's necessary, there's also a holy character that's necessary. Saved and sanctified. Sanctified, a true knowledge of the word and holy character that comes from the word. That's what we've seen in this pattern so far with the disciples. You must be becoming like Christ. That sin would have no more dominion over your life. You need to be an example. Like Paul said, follow me as I, what? Follow Christ. You must no longer live like an unbeliever or be conformed to the world. You need to be obedient to the word. And so we see these disciples, the, the pattern that we've seen really through the whole progression of this gospel of Luke is that Christ has saved them and they're being sanctified. They're growing in their understanding and knowledge of the word. Their character is being, uh, becoming more Christ-like. He is maturing them and making them holy. But third aspect and final one that we've seen is that you must have an unwavering commitment. These men were committed to Christ. They followed Christ. They continued to follow Christ. They stayed with Christ. There's a commitment. It's a taking up your cross daily, Jesus told the disciples in Luke chapter 9. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross, what? Daily and follow me. It's following Christ with a pure commitment, with a continued commitment. Christ must become the priority of your entire life. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Think about that. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. 
for his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That's the one who is used by Christ. His sole aim is to please the one who's enlisted him. His priorities are not worldly, they're godly. And so this progression is really what we've seen from the disciples, that they've been saved, they've been sanctified, they've come to an understanding and knowledge of the word, their character has become holy and is becoming holy, and they are committed to Christ. And God prepares faithful servants this way through salvation and through sanctification. And I wonder where God needs to still work in your life. I wonder where God needs to work in your life. Let me encourage you with the fact, if he can use the apostle Peter, he can use you. He certainly can. And so Christ will prepare this man to be trusted, to have self-control, to have a clear, accurate knowledge of the word. He's gonna prepare him to have humility, steadfastness, to be able to instruct others, to have wisdom and discernment, to be ready for suffering. And so how does he do this? Well, Christ prepares the apostle Peter specifically by dealing with three aspects. One, the permission. Permission he gives to Satan to test him. Number two, that's verse 31. Number two, he speaks of perseverance. Peter's faith and his perseverance in the faith, verse 32. And then he speaks of a prediction. It's pretty clear. This is pretty easily laid out, but it's very, very pointed prediction in verses 33 through 34. So as we dealt with last week, let's just speak and recap for a moment the permission. Verse 31, look at it with me. It says this, Jesus says, look, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. You can almost hear it in the Lord's voice there. You don't know what's coming to you, Simon, but it's coming. And he's preparing Simon for it right now by telling him of what's coming. The Lord's sovereignty is all over this. He knows exactly what's happening and he's in complete control. But Jesus is telling Peter that he has given permission to Satan to test the genuineness of Peter's saving faith in Christ. Satan is gonna sift you like wheat and see if the true genuine thing remains. And the reason why I've given this the heading permission rather than testing is because this whole section has, has, it centers around Christ's sovereignty. Jesus is preparing Peter. He knows exactly what's ahead and he's given permission for the testing of Peter. So this is not like, Peter, let's see if you have enough strength in it of yourself. I've given Satan permission to test you. It will happen. It's coming. I'm preparing you now for it. He's preparing Peter in such a way that Christ knows everything that lies ahead. 
It's part of the divine plan. It's under his sovereign rule. And he will overcome all of this as he prepares Peter. He's going to use this for Peter's good to make him into the man he wants him to be. Jesus is allowing Satan, has allowed Satan to test Peter's faith. The literal translation here is Satan has attained you by requesting, by asking. Jesus has already given permission to Satan in the way that he's said this in the original language. He's allowed Satan to test Peter. Peter's faith, though, we'll see, will remain because Christ will preserve him. He's able to prepare Peter because he knows exactly what's ahead. This is sovereignty on display. This, is, this should magnify Christ, this section. It should not necessarily magnify Peter. This should magnify Christ. He knows exactly what's ahead. He's in complete control. This is all part of divine plan. And he's preparing the apostle Peter. And he will ensure that Peter moves through this. This is divine preparation. This is discipleship. And the context really makes this clear, the before and the after, that this testing that you read about in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. It's pretty clear from the context that he's speaking of his faith in Christ, his saving faith. He speaks, if you look at the text before this, he speaks of Judas's betrayal he speaks of Judas's betrayal in verse 21, but he speaks of his condemnation, verse 22. He speaks of, look at the text, then he speaks of the disciples and their momentary failure in the next section, verses 24 through 27. But he speaks of the fact that they are truly born again in verse 28 and 29, and they'll enter the kingdom. And so he's speaking of the responses towards him, but he's speaking of the fate. Judas's faith will be proven to be not real, superficial, non-existent, false convert. Judas was the most famous false convert in the Bible. He will be proven to be a false convert. The disciples, they are going to fail temporarily, but he's going to prove that they are truly his disciples. They're going to enter the kingdom through their staying with him. They've proven that. Simon here, he's going to be tested, but then look at verse 32, which is after verse 31 that we're mentioning right now. It says that his faith won't fail. And so Jesus is discussing the state of their souls, salvation here. And so he's making clear that Peter's saving faith in Christ will be tested to see if it's genuine, to see if it's real. He's like, Satan like Job will accuse Peter, like he did to Job, will accuse Peter of only following God for what he gets from God. That it's superficial, that it isn't real, and that it would be abandoned if he endured or faced suffering. Let's make him suffer and see if his faith in Christ is real. 
That's the true test of your saving faith as well. Whether you endure and make it to the end, still following Christ. You've prayed a prayer, great. Let's see if it's real. Make it to the end. True believers in Christ persevere. And so this is what every disciple must prepare for. This is the basic of the Christian expectation that your commitment to Christ will be tested. And if it's real, it will remain. And this is what every discipler must prepare their disciples for. When you're discipling someone and you're sitting with someone, it's great to teach them wonderful truths that can help their lives. But no more foundational truth needs to be said than this. Your faith is going to be tested. And you need to endure and continue to follow Christ. And so this would happen and be fulfilled a short time from now, later on in the garden. When Jesus will go to the garden with the disciples, he will be arrested. The disciples will scatter. This was fulfilled. This is a, a fulfillment of Zechariah 13, 7. It says the sheep will scatter when the shepherd is striked, struck. And so they're going to scatter. And Peter's faith is going to be severely tested during that hour. But listen now, Jesus not only prepares the apostles and the apostle Peter, and by the way, the, the, in that first verse, verse 31, the you there is plural. And so really Jesus is speaking to all the apostles, all the disciples, through the representative, the leader, Peter. They're all gonna be tested. Now in the next verse, you is singular. And so he is really isolating and specifically speaking to Peter himself. He's specifically preparing this man, though they must all be prepared. And so Jesus not only prepares Peter through telling him of this permission he's given to Satan to test his faith, but secondly now, Jesus makes a promise to Peter that he will sovereignly preserve Peter's faith so that he won't permanently fall away and then he gives them instructions on what to do after he's tested. So we move now to the perseverance, number two. Number two, he's preparing his man. He's preparing his man and he's telling his man, your faith, the genuineness of your faith is going to be tested. And now he gives them this great promise and gives them this instruction. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. We start this verse, verse 32, with the word but. That's an important word. Satan's goal will be to show Peter's faith in Christ will not remain, that he's a false convert, that it's not true, that he doesn't have saving faith, that he only follows Christ because of the benefits but Christ will keep him. He who is in Peter is greater than he who is in the world. And God has chosen Peter, saved Peter. God will keep Peter and his faith will not fully fail. And this isn't a perhaps, this isn't a chance. This isn't maybe. What's happening here is a guarantee. This is a guarantee from Christ. Your faith will not fail. Now this is, the evidence of 
the fact that Peter is a true disciple of Christ. But Peter's being first challenged to continue following Christ. And then Peter is then given this great comfort and this great confidence and this continued humility that will result from this by these promises from Christ. He says, when you have turned again, not if you have turned again, when you have turned again, Jesus knows exactly what's ahead. When you've turned back again, meaning when you've turned back in your faith, strengthen your brothers. So Peter will fail, but whatever failure he has, it will be temporary. And Jesus will ensure that Peter's not totally, ultimately, permanently renouncing Christ. Now listen, this should, this should be pressing some buttons for you theologically. He's telling Peter, don't, don't turn away. You're going to be tested. And at the same time, I'm the one who's keeping you. Exactly. And so as he speaks of this perseverance in Christ, we can notice a few aspects of this perseverance. First of all, this perseverance for Peter will happen by divine sovereignty. Perseverance for this saint will happen by divine sovereignty. He says here in verse 32, I have prayed for you that, or the result will be, your faith may not fail. So this perseverance by this Saint by this follower of Christ will happen by divine sovereignty. And so we see this is true here. He will deny Jesus only to go on to repent later, which is the difference between him and Judas. But Jesus is making clear that this is occurring by divine sovereignty. This is Christ's work here. And this is the confidence, and this is the comfort, and this is the continued humility that the believer in Christ has, is that you got to make it to the end, continue to follow Christ. Your faith is going to be tested. God is making you into the sanctified person that he wants you to be. And if you're a true believer in Christ, be comforted. Have confidence and continue to have humility that it's God who's keeping you and who will keep you. The second thing that we can see about this perseverance is that this happens through Christ's intercession. So it happens by divine sovereignty and it happens through Christ's intercession. He says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And so Christ here is pointing to not only is he the lamb, the substitutionary death, because he is the perfect, blameless, spotless lamb of God, but he's also the great high priest. 
He is one who continually intercedes for believers, maintaining their innocence before God, upholding the new covenant. That's what Christ is doing. This will humble you fast because you will think oftentimes, okay, I've got to make it to the end. I will, if I'm a true believer, it'll be evidence that I really believe in Christ. I mean, if you really believe he's the Lord, where else are you going to go? You make it to the end, right? It's also the the challenge of a believer, make it to the end, and you have this confidence, if the Holy Spirit's inside me, he's a seal, he's a guarantee to my inheritance, I, I will make it to the end. But this will humble you fast, because really what's keeping you is divine omnipotence and Christ's continued intercession for you before God. And so this is not passive in your perseverance. This is active. God is active. Christ is active in keeping you. That'll humble you fast. Please, Lord, keep me. This will take away all confidence you have in yourself to keep yourself. This will make you dependent on the Lord and it'll give you great confidence also at the same time in great comfort. Jesus is interceding for Peter, and we see even an example of his intercessory prayer in John's full account of this upper room scene in John chapter 17. Don't turn there now, but you can read that. And so it's very relevant here. And listen now, Christ's prayers are always answered since he prays exactly according to God's will. So this is what's happening. Flip with me to Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. Really, verse 23. It says, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently and he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make what? Intercession for them. For, he is, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins And then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weaknesses as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. And then he speaks of Jesus as this high priest in this new covenant. I mean, we can see this in, we're not going to turn there because of time, but Romans 8, 33 through 34 
You should look at that, Jude. Actually, let's just turn to Romans briefly, just to look at it. Romans chapter eight, verses 33 through 34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on to say, nothing will. Christ is maintaining our innocence before God, upholding the new covenant. Even turn with me to Jude. Chapter 20, uh, verses 24 through 25. There's only one chapter in Jude. Second to last book of the Bible. Verses 24 through 25. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God and Savior through Christ Jesus our Lord be majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and, and forever, forevermore. It's the power of Christ to protect true believers from apostasy. It's the power of Christ to protect true believers from apostasy. Again, that should humble you. And that should also give you comfort and confidence. And so we see that this perseverance will happen by divine sovereignty. It will happen through Christ's intercession but here's a third aspect of it we see in this section that will, it would guarantee continued forgiveness. Listen now. The perseverance of a believer in Christ happens by divine sovereignty. It happens through Christ's intercession and it guarantees continued forgiveness. How do we know that? Well, look at it. It says, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When? I mean, this presupposes that he will be fully reconciled as he turns back to Christ. That he will be received again. He will be recommissioned again. He will be forgiven again. And he will be able to strengthen the others again. And so this is wonderful news for the believer. This is wonderful news. That Perseverance in the faith happens by divine sovereignty through Christ's intercession and it guarantees continued forgiveness. He will be forgiven. He will be received back by Christ. He will be recommissioned by Christ. And, and so this is wonderful news. This is the confidence that all true believers in Christ should have as he prepares you. P Peter will have failures and Christ as the faithful one will continue to keep him. True believers will make it to the end and Christ keeps them to the end. And so he now gives them this instruction here in this point. Turn back to Luke. Turn back to Luke, chapter 22, back to our section. He speaks of his perseverance and then he gives them this instruction after he has given him this information about his perseverance. He says, and when you have turned again, verse 32, strengthen your brothers. He gives them now this instruction. And so 
you here is singular, Peter specifically in view. And as a leader, Peter will be the first among equals. And as he turns again, after his faith is tested, listen now, after his faith is tested, as Christ has given him this comfort and confidence that as a, as a true disciple, Christ will keep him through his intercession, through his power, guarantee his continued forgiveness. He instructs Peter, this is how, all how he's preparing him to strengthen his brothers, And so strengthened, Christ is going to recommission Peter. You guys know the story in John chapter one, where Peter jumps out of the water, swims to Christ. Christ recommissions him by asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he recommissions him to feed and to shepherd his sheep. Peter will be recommissioned and he will be used of Christ after this testing. And listen now, this will be specifically obeyed by Peter in Acts chapters 1 through 12. You can go there and just spend some time in Acts Acts chapters 1 through 12, but really that whole section is, the first half of Acts is dominated by the apostle Peter. I mean, he's everywhere. In chapter 1 verse 15, he's going to stand up and lead the choosing of of the disciple to replace Judas. In chapter 2, verse 14, in the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to preach and 3,000 souls will be saved. How is he going to strengthen his brothers? Like this. In chapter 3, he heals a lame beggar and preaches powerfully. In chapter 4, the church is growing. It says the men alone totaled up to about 5,000. And Peter was leading this. He would be arrested and he would continue to boldly preach. In chapter 5, he would lead out the disciples in the discipline of Ananias and Sapphira. And you could go on. Peter turned again. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and he dominated the early church and strengthened the church. This is exactly what Peter would do. But this isn't even to mention his two letters that he wrote, where he would strengthen believers everywhere for every generation to come. This is the apostle Peter. He will strengthen his, his brothers. In 1 Peter, he will tell believers how to endure. He will tell believers how to continue in their faith. He will tell believers how to live right in Christ, especially in the midst of suffering. You know what the, listen, you know what the theme of 1 Peter is? Live right in the midst of suffering, trusting Christ and following his example who lived right in the midst of suffering. How do you think Peter learned that? By continuing in his faith, continuing to hold on to Christ in the midst of suffering. Second Peter, he will confirm the true gospel. He will expose false teachers. I mean, Peter will do exactly what Jesus is instructing him to do. He will lead out. He will strengthen. And so Jesus is preparing this apostle. He says, Peter, your faith is going to be violently shaken to test whether or not your salvation is true. Peter, have confidence and comfort and continued humility that it will be me who is keeping you, me who is interceding for you. And you will have continued forgiveness. Your failure won't be permanent. And as you come through this, strengthen the brothers, strengthen other believers with the truth and with the lessons you've learned. There's one more thing that Jesus needs to teach Peter. He needs to really make clear 
crystal clear Peter's weaknesses. He's got to really make this clear for the apostle Peter. And so we see the prediction in verses 33 through 34. It says, Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Mark the progression here. Mark the progression here. Your faith is going to be violently tested, Peter, shaken. I will keep you through my power, through my intercession, and you will be continued that you will continue to be forgiven. I'm going to give you some instructions to strengthen the brothers as you come through. And Peter's response to the Lord is, I'm going to do this on my own. Don't worry, Lord. I've got enough strength. I've got enough faith. You don't have to worry. What do you mean you're going to keep me? My faith's going to be tested. I'm going to last. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus has to make clear his weakness and overcome Peter's pride and bring about humility in Peter's life. He needs to create desperation for Peter to need to be near Christ in order to be used by Christ. He needs to create dependence upon Christ. He needs to create courage and even obedience for lasting faithfulness. As he doesn't depend on himself anymore, but depends on him. He's got to create in Peter such shame that he would desire to honor him and never go back to his fear and his sin, but only to be faithful to the Lord forever as he feels the weight of this sin. This is the progression of what's taking place. He told of Judas who will betray him. He told of the disciples who were arguing about the greatest, who, who's the greatest, what their fate would be. He comes here to Peter and telling him of Satan's work in his life. And Peter responds with his overconfident, proud assertion. He needs the Holy Spirit. He needs God to sovereignly work in his life. And Jesus is going to tell him that he's going to deny him. This will make Peter alert. This should make Peter watchful. This should create humility in Peter and teach him to be on guard. He says in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In other words, I'll never leave. My faith in you, it will never fail. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon my love for you. My faith in you won't fail. You don't need to pray for me. You don't need to intercede for me. You don't need to preserve me. He declares absolute unshakable commitment to Christ. It's an underestimation of how severe testing can shake a person's allegiance to Jesus. You need to persevere with fear and trembling. 
The disciple must be prepared. Peter must finally begin to understand his need for, the, for Christ to the end. And what Peter is understanding here is the fact that Christ will suffer. Listen, there's been a misunderstanding really up until this point. The Messiah is not supposed to suffer on earth. He's supposed to reign. And Christ is finally, uh, Peter's finally understanding this as Christ has made this prediction just a couple of chapters ago, chapters ago that he's going to suffer. Peter's finally getting this. Christ is going to go to prison. Christ is going to die. And Peter is saying, I'm willing to go with you to there. So he's finally starting to get that, that this is the fate of the Messiah. But at this point, it's easy to pledge his loyalty to Christ and the safety of this secluded meal. I'll go with you. Don't worry. Right? But the soldiers would change things. The absence of Jesus would change things. The accusations of the people who are around Peter would change things. And so Jesus is making clear Peter's denial. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day. It's going to be this very day that you assert this. It'll be tonight. It'll be today. That you will deny me. Peter's going to fulfill this pledge. He's going to go with the Lord to prison and to death. That's going to be in the book of Acts where he will be imprisoned and he'll be martyred. Tradition says he was crucified upside down, still holding on to his faith in Christ. But it wouldn't be for this time of immense failure in his commitment to Christ. Peter is overconfident in himself. Peter is overconfident in himself. Matthew 26 and Mark 14 are parallel accounts to this. And, and they open up what Peter said maybe even more fully. They said, even if all fall away, even if everyone else, listen, I know other people will fall away. They're weak. I will not. I will never fall away. First Corinthians 10, 12, be careful if you think you stand lest you, what? Fall. And so as we close this, we see Jesus will challenge Peter's confidence with this prediction. He says, you again, singular. Peter will deny him this very day. It will be soon. And he says he's going, this is Christ's sovereignty on display down to the smallest details. If you want to ever see that Jesus was in control the entire time on his road to the cross. I mean, he says this very specifically before the cock crows three times. I mean, he's in complete control. This is divine sovereignty all over the place. The Romans, the, in Rome, the crows would, would crow at night in the night watches to switch soldiers. And he's going to bring Peter to the depths that Peter has never been to before as he cringes in cowardly fear. But he's going to recommission Peter, forgive Peter, and he will not fully fall away in John chapter 21. And so Peter's faith will not ultimately fail, but he must see how truly weak he is and the fact that he's going to deny him deny the Lord three times. And so in this section of the Lord's preparation of the apostle Peter, he tells Peter 
that coming out of this, in light of my death, your genuine faith is gonna be severely tested to prove whether or not you're a true disciple. You can take comfort and have confidence and have courage in the fact that I'm keeping you, but that should produce in you continued humility. And Peter has to have an appropriate understanding of his own weaknesses and his own sin, that he would continue to depend on the Lord, not be overconfident, and that he would continue in dependence upon Christ. And so, as a disciple in Christ, this is Christ's preparation for you as well. You gotta make it to the end. Your faith will be tested. If you do, you should be humble that it's Christ's keeping power and work. You should be comforted by the fact that he will keep you if you're in Christ. And he'll see you through it. And as he commissions you for his work, you must remain humble. You must have continued humility, not being overconfident, knowing that temptation and sin can have real damage on your life. And you're not above that. The soldiers change things for Peter. And uh, different circumstances, different temptations would change things for you. You, may, you need to de remain dependent upon Christ. Well, next time Jesus is gonna prepare the disciples for the world's response. And we'll see that next week. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with humble hearts, with hearts of trepidation and, and even healthy, godly fear. And at the same time, we come before you with comfort and confidence. We ask that you would continue to instill these truths in our heart, that we would be disciples who are prepared by you. You are continuing to prepare your disciples through this sanctification work in this very teaching in this section. And at the same time, Lord, let us be preparing others with these same truths. We pray that you'd use us. And we pray that you would keep us. And we pray that it would all result in your glory, in your honor, in Jesus' name. Amen.